Hello, and welcome to CogCast, Cognito's podcast where we talk to journalists and media pros on everything that's happening in the world of media and PR. I'm Larissa Patton, your host this episode, and a former journalist turned PR professional. Today, we have a special episode for Pride Month, co-hosted by our colleague in Cognito's Singapore office, Ian Lee. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me today for this special episode of CogCast. It's Pride Month around the world, and you have a special guest coming up joining to discuss supporting the mental and physical health of the LGBT plus community in Singapore. But I quickly wanted to ask you a little bit about what corporate allyship and public support looks like in Singapore currently. Cool. Hey, hey, Lewis. So nice to speak with you. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of allyship always comes up around uh, around Pride Month. And by the way, happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. And, you know, the when whenever allyship comes up, the, the big question comes up is around authenticity. And, and what does it really mean when a corporation wants to engage the community? You know, there, we, we do live in a world that is, you know, hyper-informed. And there's always a question of authentic true engagement or whether you know are different corporations engaging in various kinds of washing you know there's rainbow washing there's green washing there's all kinds of virtual signaling that that are out there and there's a natural level of skepticism that i think a lot of companies have to really work very hard to address and to overcome yeah Mm -hmm. we've had some examples here in recent months of companies speaking up and then handling it well and then maybe handling it not so well, you know, but I I wanted to ask, you mentioned greenwashing. Does this fall under ESG? That's such a broad term that's encompassing everything now. And I haven't really, Mm -hmm. in the US at least, heard those two things tied together this month yet. Yeah, you know, that's a really great point. You know, if, if we turn back the clock to say, you know, 10 years ago, this kind of allyship or this kind of engagement of the community used to fall under uh, CSR. But now we're seeing sort of an evolution of the way that people are thinking about it and the way people talk about it. And I, I would make the argument that this does fall under ESG, especially under the sustainable side of things, where it's really about looking at not just, okay, I'm going to do something for Pride Month and then we'll call it a day, but rather sort of re-looking at your business models and asking yourselves, as a company, are we truly inclusive? Are we really looking at building out sustainable models that actually engage with the communities that we want to say are our customers, are the communities that we're in? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, one element of ESG that hasn't gotten as much publicity, but I think it's getting, at least here in the U.S., a little more attention is the social aspect, the S in ESG. Mm-hmm. And one phrase that I've heard of when, when you know, we look at these companies that I mentioned that maybe haven't handled their backlash that they've gotten for support is, mm-hmm. hopefully I get this correctly, it's practice not perform. So it's really making this a core value, like you said, of your business practice. And so hopefully we'll see that more as uh, people start to figure out exactly what their message is and work it into their overall business practice. But along the same lines, when we're talking about sustainability, it's no longer an option to stand on the sidelines and not take a stand. At least here in the US, we're seeing that more and more. And in today's world where we're having more conversations than ever about representation, is neutrality a myth? Meaning, are you eventually going to get backlash one way or the other? So you might as well stand up for what you believe in. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the argument can even be made about Asian brands as well. You know, for the longest time, when it comes to, especially during Pride Month, it is still a slightly complex and tricky topic to to discuss. As I'm sure it is actually anywhere else in the world. 
And for the longest time, a lot of brands here chose to sort of stay silent in their approach, especially during this, this price season. And, and increasingly, especially as we become much more globalized, as, as people around the world are able to see how other parts of the world are really reacting, the, the silence is starting to get very deafening and very loud. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that even within, within Asia, you know, we look at other brands that are, that are doing Pride Months or Pride Activations uh, in, in other parts of the world. And then we look at the brands here and we're like, hey, if they can do it, why, why aren't our local brands also getting involved, standing up for what they believe in? And I think that that push is certainly becoming a lot stronger in Asia and other parts of the world. So, so you're right. I think neutrality, I think there's a time and place in which an organization needs to say, look, this is what we stand for. We're going to come up and actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as companies start to do that, they also need to do it in a way that isn't performative. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> really, one of my favorite examples of a Pride campaign that really kind of backfired is Marks & Spencer's in the UK. And a few years ago, as part of Pride Month, they came up with the LGBT sandwich, which was lettuce, guac, <laughs> bacon, and tomato. And as you can imagine, you know, slapping a rainbow on the sandwich in the grocery store just... I mean, you know what? Great. Thank you for giving me a sandwich because everybody loves sandwiches. But it, it really just comes across as being <laughs> very trivial and really performative. Yeah, that's part of that perform, not practice. Yeah. Had, um, for me, what comes to mind, and I don't know if it made its way to you, but the Bud Light campaign. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, this is a brand that had, you know, years and years of, you know, supporting the community and then just really fumbled and went silent and uh, it was kind of disappointing to see. So I think that, you know, brands are still finding their voice and their way. I would like mm-hmm. to see more of them kind of stick to the commitment once they make it and mm-hmm. like you said, be authentic and, you know, um, not be performative. And hopefully we'll see that more. But when we talk to our clients and potential clients um, and communicate how to, you know, deal with all of these issues and how to be responsible in their branding, what are some of the things that they can bring to the table for these initiatives? And what are some of the things that we can counsel them to do? Yeah. So, you know, as communication professionals, I think the, the our biggest strength lies in the fact that we are not just, you know, the amplifiers and the mouthpiece or for a lot of brands, but we are also sort of the ears uh, on the ground to really get a sense of what is the cultural zeitgeist. And so we, as comms people, we can bring this intelligence to the table and say, look, this is what we're seeing, not just in the media, but in the general society and culture. And these are the sensitivities and the subtleties that we need to pay attention to. Because again, a lot of big social movements or working communities there's a lot of nuances that needs to be understood. And if you don't understand these nuances, it's very, very easy to, to say the wrong thing or to put your foot in the uh, metaphorical mouth. And so as comms professionals, we need to bring that understanding of nuancing to the table. And as well as the fact that, you know, we as comms people, we're very used to working across functions as well. And it's really about ensuring that there's consistency across all of the outreach in different forms as well. Thank you again for joining me today, Ian. Um, before you and I say goodbye, though, can you tell us a little bit about your guest today? Sure. So, you know, as you know, June is Pride Month for many countries. And while it's it's heartening to see a lot of companies starting to support social causes, many still struggle with engaging communities in a way that's truly authentic. So our guest today uh, is actually is a gentleman called Liao Yong Fa. He's the executive director uh, of Uga Chaga. 
Uh, it's a community group that's supporting the mental and physical health of the LGBTQ plus community here in Singapore. And recently, his organization partnered with Revolut, a digital banking app, to launch a limited edition diversity card as part of their Pride Month outreach here in Singapore. So I, I'm going to have a conversation with him about talking about how do we build authentic corporate partnerships with NGOs and other community groups. Well, thanks everyone. Enjoy. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Codcast. My name is Ian Lee. I'm an Associate Director here in the Singapore office. So June is a Pride Month for many countries, and while it's heartening to see more companies supporting social causes, many still struggle with engaging communities in a way that's truly authentic. To dive a little deeper into building authentic corporate partnerships and allyships with NGOs and other community groups, we're speaking today with Liao Yongfa, Executive Director of Uga Chaga, Singapore's most established LGBTQ plus community organization. Uga Chaga recently partnered with Revolut, a digital banking app to launch a limited edition diversity card as part of their International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia campaign. Hey Yongfa, thanks nice for speaking to you today. Hi Ian, great to be here. Thanks a lot. Cool. So let, let's jump straight into it. You know, why is it important for corporate partners to create truly authentic partnerships and not something that's performative when it comes to social causes? First of all, Ian, I don't jump straight. I jump queer. <laughs> but again, that's a great question. The idea of not just authenticity, but authentic partnerships is something that's so important, not just for corporate partners, but also for community partners as well. As mentioned earlier, as a community organization, what we always look out for is a, a relationship, a corporate relationship that's meaningful for us as well. And also, I'm also thinking as a consumer, as a queer person, many of us are very discerning. So we know what we see, we can sense whether it's genuine, whether it's authentic, or whether it's just a brand wanting to do what's good for them rather than what's good for the community, what's good for the social cause. So for that reason, I think out of sheer respect for your community, for the social cause that you want to highlight and champion, you do need to be really authentic about what you do and how you do it. And a big thing that's, that you really, really have to bear in mind is that engagement, the very, I'll call very thoughtful and proactive engagement to reach out and work with a, whether it's a community group, or whether it's a community of individuals who are who have vested lived experiences in the uh, social causes and the communities they are trying to showcase and highlight. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And sort of using the example of the the latest partnership that you have with Revolut, you know, is this the first time that Uga Chaga is collaborating with financial service business? And why do you think that this kind of campaign is really impactful? Yes, it is the first time we've engaged with the financial service business in such an open public way. Of course, over the years, we have worked with various fintech as well as financial institutions and businesses, but very much in an internal way. For example, uh, engaging with them on training services or other uh, in-house programs. But for the first time um, with Revolut in Singapore, they've decided to launch their diversity card, launch it in Singapore, and they sought us out. To their credit, uh, they sought us out and they gave, we gave ourselves plenty of time to have a very thoughtful, purposeful discussion about how we want to do it, what would work, what wouldn't work, and the potential risks to look out for. And, and to the end, we're extremely, extremely uh, grateful for this very fruitful collaboration. And I want to take my hats off to uh, the team behind that. And I mean, the, the office in Singapore is not big, but I think what they did and how they did it was incredibly useful. They 
they really wanted to do this in a way that was helpful for the community. So I could say a bit about how it's done. Um, so through Revolut, the app, any Revolut user with a donation of $10 to Ugichaga will automatically be sent the Rainbow Diversity Card at no charge. So this was, as far as Ugichaga is concerned, win-win for us. It attracts donations from people who might not otherwise know about us and the organization. It supports an LGBTQ community organization. And again, from um, the Revolut's perspective, they are bringing out a new product and so win-win all around. And the response we've been getting from the community has been so generous and overwhelming. And um, as we speak, I've just got news that they will be extending it to um, the end of June. In initially, it was just meant to be a two-week trial promo. Oh, wow, that's, that's fantastic. So, you know, I, I, you touched on the point earlier that I think really resonated with me when you talk about authenticity. So, you know, in, in your opinion, what makes an authentic partnership? How, how can corporate partners really go beyond what, you know, what we call pinkwashing mm. and truly develop an allyship with, you know, LGBTQ plus communities or in fact, any other social causes and social groups, you know, especially in countries like Singapore? Yeah, I can think of a couple of examples of how not to run an, um, a campaign. For example, when the campaign focuses solely on the product, or when the campaign only focuses on the model or celebrity promoting the product, then yeah. it's pretty obvious. It's about the product or the celebrity. Nothing wrong with highlighting, uh, showcasing products and celebrities, but if the intention is to highlight a cause or a community or organization, then the focus shouldn't be on the product or the celebrity. So, which also means that an authentic, campaign and authentic partnership should involve the cause, should involve the community, the organizations that's about, and listen, listen to the people running or behind the organizations and social cause and hear from them what would work, what would not work. Also in particular, what would be risky, what would be potentially dangerous. There are, of course, lots of international brands work across various jurisdictions and then cities and countries and contexts, and it will vary from place to place as well. What might work, say, in um, Florida might not work in Singapore. What might work in Tokyo may, may not work in London. So I think that is another reason why work with local community partners is so essential. Right. So, you know, if you were giving advice to a brand looking to engage with NGOs or community groups, what would you need to consider when planning out these kinds of partnerships? Mm -hmm. First of all, I mean, uh, as a marketing team, or uh, you might have some idea of what you want to, what you want your brand to signify, to, to represent, whether it's for Pride Month or any other cause, that's great. But that's just the start. Along the way, you might think about who and what and where and how you want to engage with the communities that you want to showcase and highlight. So in some places, in some parts of the world, there may be a diversity of community groups within a very diverse LGBTQ plus community, for example. You might have lots of choice when it comes to community partners. I might imagine you want to kind of uh, sit down and look through that list of community partners and see which single community partner or group or coalition of partners might be most aligned with your brand. So do your homework, look up their social media um, footprint or, or media presence in terms of the language they use, the other campaigns that they're involved in, or um, maybe even look at uh, the staff or, or the, the messages that have been sent out uh, over 
over time and see whether that's aligned with your corporate brand. If there's alignment there, make the approach and have that discussion and see where it goes from there. So it does take time. Do mm-hmm. not do this on the 31st of May in preparation for Pride Month. It's not going to work. I think what really worked in our collaboration with Revolut was we started having this conversation much earlier in the year. And if I'm not wrong, the connection with the key staff in Revolut started years before. It was a kind of a working relationship we had. And then when the opportunity came around, we started talking and it took time. And again, we are so proud to share that this was a collaboration that worked. Yeah, you know, you brought up this point about having conversations with community groups. And, you know, in my experience, I think that's something that people sometimes tend to overlook and forget about anything. Okay, I'm just going to speak to a community group. I'm just going to lay out the plans and we're just going to run with it. But rather, it needs to be a truly collaborative effort, right? It needs to be, definitely. The collaboration will needs to happen. So it's very much process-oriented. The connection needs to be a genuine one. We talk about authentic partnership. It's also about a, a genuine connection. And also whether it's a corporate partner or, or the community partner, both sides must want to do this. If at any point mm-hmm. one party or both realize that it's not going to work, I think we owe it to each other to kind of go, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Or, you know, let's postpone this. Let's do this mm-hmm. another time or do it another way. So, so that... Again, and I speak from the community perspective, the onus also is on the community partner to kind of be very honest about your resources. Can you can, can you do this? Will you have resources to do this? The commitment to do it, even uh, leadership clearance and approval to do this, you know, um, so all of this needs to be thought through as well. Right. You know, and I think we missed out one more C here, which I think is very important, which is actually consistency from the company as well in terms of are they staying the same message, not just during Pride Month and Pride season, but also on a year-long basis and consistency in terms of their sort of internal communications and corporate culture itself? Because it's one thing to, to you know, put out a rainbow product or service during Pride Month, but then the rest of the year, you don't have your HR policies in line with that. Absolutely, because one of the things I sometimes like to do is I kind of try to spot the the brands that turn their logos uh, rainbow from <laughs> 1st to 30th June, and then come 1st July, it switches back to a regular logo. That's fine, but at the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, what else are they doing for their LGBTQ plus staff, mm-hmm. uh, stakeholders, employees, consumers, you know, because uh, when you think about it, we are not just queer in June. We are yeah. queer from 1st July all the way to 31st May as well, the other 11 months of the year. Oh, really? So, you're, on the, you're on the full-time? Because I'm, I'm on the part-time basis, Are right? you? Okay, yeah. I, I'm, my day job is my gay job, so yeah, I can't <laughs> run away from it. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. So, okay, so com- coming back to, to the, uh, you know, your work with Revolut, you know, that's, that's one form in which a company can sort of partner with a community group. But what are the strategies and programs can companies adopt to help sort of build inclusive corporate allyship with NGO partners? Again, from the start, again, I'm a big fan of doing things small or starting things small. If what you want to do is just to have a, um, a session to talk about awareness or sharing information, maybe something even as so-called basic as LGBTQ plus terminology, what mm-hmm. I call kind of a fondly uh, the rainbow alphabet soup, start there because all of us, whether it's in the community or corporate setting, certainly in any professional setting, language is so important. So getting that right. So start from there. 
you might want to go on and talk about pronouns, or you want to, um, I, we've even worked with um, some businesses where the HR policies are still written a default male pronoun, you know, in this day and age. It might still happen, I don't know, maybe even start small, look at what you have at the moment before you kind of leapfrog into bigger things that are probably just as important, but you also want to build confidence in your own internal team as well to make these small changes. And also you want to get buy-in from your stakeholders, from your you know, senior leadership, from your staff team as well. So start internally, look internally, don't always rush into doing grand big things because in this day and age, queer consumers, activists, community groups, we are pretty discerning. We can sniff out inauthenticity. It is there. You might have the most gorgeous rainbow logo on your social media accounts, but all you need is for one person can go, hang on, they don't have this or they don't have that within their staff employee policies, then I'm sorry, you're busted. So that's also about authenticity. What are you doing internally? As, is, is that uh, consistent, like I said, the other C, is it consistent with your public image, your public uh, statements? Right. You know, you, you touched on something that I thought was really quite interesting in that, you know, there is the, you know, the, especially the queer community. In fact, the general public is a lot more aware and sensitive when they, they sort of smell inauthenticity. And I think that's actually changed over the years as well. I mean, I can remember 10 15 years ago when, you know, we, we start, started working in the social, in this space and, you know, having a company change their logo to like a rainbow thing was a big deal, but that's no longer the case anymore. And in fact, you know, and, and rightfully so that it is not enough just to show a visual or a branding change. There really needs to be something that, that goes beyond that in terms of authenticity. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I, and I put this down to uh, maybe it's also a function of uh our use of technology and social media, we get it, right? Social mm -hmm. media is very visual. People are sending out messages, text or, or, or images. That's great. But many of us also kind of think, what else? Yeah. What's beneath that rainbow? What's mm -hmm. beneath that statement? What else are you doing? What else? What else? And of course, there's also look, tons of competition out there. We know what can be done. We know what truly LGBTQ plus inclusive and diverse and equitable companies look like and smell like and sound like. So if mm -hmm. you're not doing that, then we can tell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when it comes to, you know, looking at the differences between, say, you know, we're both based here in Singapore, is do you think that there is a sort of differing standards when it comes to or different ways of working with community groups that, you know, based here in Singapore and Asia as compared to places like, you know, Europe or the Americas? Definitely. And um, I would say um, the context will be very different. And, and to be fair, even in Asia, I mean, what, what it could get away with in, say, Taiwan may be different from what you can get away with in Malaysia or Singapore. In the wider APEC region, what you could do in Sydney may be different from what you can do in Jakarta or Beijing or Shanghai. So I mm -hmm. think, and that links us back to the earlier point as well, work with your local community partners and groups, hear from them, people who have lived and operated in that space, mm -hmm. uh, not just for years, but maybe for decades, so they can tell you what has changed, what hasn't changed, what can be done, what can't be done. And again, one way to not do an authentic partnership or one way to do inauthentic partnership would be to um, just listen to head office in, I don't know, London or New York or even Sydney and just replicate and do it wherever. I mean, that very well intended, I'm sure, but that runs the risk of kind of, yeah, being 
kind of out of touch with the local context and local needs as well. And having said that, there's also very real risks of putting the local community in danger if you end up doing something that can be easily misunderstood or misinterpreted as so-called foreign interference. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and just in terms of tone check, I, I think something else that I always found was very important was whenever you know a, a company or brand was was planning out their pride campaign or, or any kind of community outreach, I thought it was also very important that on their side, there should be someone from, ideally, someone from their community as part of the planning group from the company itself. So, you know, it'd be quite funny if you, if you have a brand that's coming to you and there's no one who is queer from their team on as part to help so sense check their programs or their campaigns. Yep, for sure. I mean, it would be ideal to have um, a queer or, or someone from the community being represented uh, or represented on the part of the, uh, the corporate partner coming in. But again, having said that, it will also be a bit unfair to expect that representative to you know, uh, be able to speak on behalf of the entire community. As again, so that's where diversity comes. Diversity in terms of the composition of the corporate business, uh, wanting to reach out with a community partner, um, diversity in the, the issues being highlighted, for example, diversity in the organizing uh, committee. And it really, these things can, well, rather will matter and it will show uh, with ideas and of course with any creative or media uh, angle, yeah, to, to just testing it out. And uh, I mean, risk management is, is a big part of it. And also taking the time, I think more than anything, don't mm-hmm. rush it because some of the worst experiences that uh, we hear of sometimes is very well-intentioned ideas, collaborations happen, but you know, because it was so uh, rushed for time, mm-hmm. uh, the process wasn't thought through carefully and it just stumbles. Yeah, absolutely hear you. You know, thanks so much for taking your time to talk through all your thoughts with us. Just to wrap up, you know, where can people go if they want to find out more about your campaign with Revolut? All would like to support Uga Chaga directly. Sure thing. So Uga Chaga, our website is ugachaga.lgbt. So Uga Chaga is spelled as it is uh, pronounced. So it's O-O-G-A-C-H-A-G-A. Ugachaga.lgbt. We are on the usual socials. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And um, you can also do a quick search on uh, Revolut Singapore Diversity Card. And then uh, it'll will show the campaign and information about how it's launched. Uh, If I'm not wrong, that specific campaign only works if you're actually in Singapore and you want to make a donation to Ugichaga through the Revolut app and then you get the diversity card sent to you by post in Singapore. So, yeah. Thanks so much, Yangfa. And once again, we're speaking to Liao Yongfa, Executive Director of Ugichaga, Singapore's most established LGBTQ plus community organization here in Singapore. Mm -hmm.